0: You might be reading this at some point uh, around the hearth or you know, around the kitchen table or on the sofa together with family, uh, but hear it again in light of the worship service that we're in today. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. and They were terribly frightened, but the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord He will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then there's a little more on the next slide. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. The nativity scene, sketched out in these few verses, of sparse, if you think about it, really kind of sparse verses, we see in microcosm a snapshot of the people of God, of the church at work. Think about all the characters that you met there. Again, it's a very short story if you think about it. But think about all the characters we encountered at the center of the scene. Yeah, I'm glad you went to the next slide there, uh, which is where I want to show you this nativity set. At the center of the scene, of course, is the Christ child. Meek and mild in the manger, and we've got some babies here today. And you know, we know that they can be meek and mild, and then they can be other things as well. Um, in some ways, of course, the Christ child is overshadowed by everybody else there, all the big adults. Who, who uh, but if we keep our eyes focused on Him, if we keep moving towards Him, if we keep Him at the heart of our worship, all else will come into focus. We might learn from. Our children friends in in our homes and in our church, you know, if you think about it, the children often pay the most attention to the baby Jesus. If you've got a a nativity set at your own home, you'll notice that the Jesus figure is the one most often swiped by toddlers who reach up on the table with pudgy little hands until they grab the baby Jesus and then hurry him off to some other adventure in Toyland. Uh, Martin Luther once complained about his theology students and said, I wish my theology students would go after prayer the way dogs go after meat. And we might alter that a little bit to say, you know, I wish that we would go after Jesus the way toddlers <laughs> go after the little uh, Jesus there at the center of the manger scene. And what, what, what is it that we see in the infant? We see the greatness of God Tucked away in the smallness of swaddling clothes. I've got a quote here. If we go to the next slide, a quote from Alred of Rivolo from the twelfth century. But it's just a beautiful picture here. He says, this is his bending down. He calls uh, the incarnation, the nativity scene, God bending down. This is his bending down, by which he bends himself down so that he might raise us up, not only from the sin into which we had fallen. Uh, but also from the penalty of sin to which he has descended. Therefore, the beginning of our salvation is there in the spectacle of his humility. Therefore, let us see our Lord, first of all, in this humility, in this littleness, in this poverty. And who is there who cannot see him in all these things? Now, through the whole world, it is known that God was made human, a little human, A poor human, but not all see with the same eyes. The babe found wrapped in swaddling cloths. The cloths are a sign that the, the child, the infant, was cared for. He's been diapered and bundled for warmth. This simple detail communicates the love and tenderness that Mary and Joseph have. If we step back from the manger scene, though, just for a minute, or from the crib, uh, who else will we see there? We see the angels, of course. Let us not forget the angels. They're, they're there in the picture that I have up there. Um, their translucent bodies tend to kind of come in and out of view. Are they part of our world or, or not? They seem to be always in transition between this world and the next. Nevertheless, they're the ones that come announcing the news, come bringing the news, to the the shepherds in the field. And it's important that they come not with a, a scream or a bark, but almost with the sound of laughter, joy to the world. The Lord has come. The angels who crowd around the birth remind us that ministry, that what we do here in this place is never a purely human affair. That what we do here Uh, despite, you know, the basketball goals and the smell of gym and all that. It's the work of God. It's the work of angels. It's the work of heaven on earth. Uh, And then, of course, uh, as we look back to the picture and to the nativity scene, we see the blessed Mother Mary who pondered all these things in her heart. The kindly Joseph who stayed with her that long night. And so also here in this group In this fellowship, there are uh, Marys and Josephs, those who bear Christ. There are spiritual fathers and mothers. uh, Those who really communicate and and set the example and, and again, bear Christ to us in some ways. You can think about those people in your own life who've played the role of Mary or Joseph to you, bringing Christ to you. There will be in every church, every congregation, a few wise men who come from the east bearing gifts. Uh, In every church, God provides men and women with gifts, musical talents. We've we've witnessed them this morning. Uh, Financial gifts to share, leadership qualities to share. Uh, The gifts of the magi uh, that were brought here are are those of frankincense and gold and myrrh. Uh, We might point out that those themselves were one, at one time worshipped as divinities themselves, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and now they are laid down at the feet of Christ. And so we might also remember that the talents that we bring might become, I don't know, miniature gods or idols or distractions in our own life, but when we lay them before Christ, when we bring them before the service of God, uh, they are put to good work. And then there are the shepherds. We know that uh, a place called Shepherd's Field is located about two miles outside of Bethlehem, the historic place where the shepherds seem to have come from. And much has been made of the shepherds in biblical commentaries because, you know, shepherds represent the the lower strata of society, the, the poor, the unsavory, the disreputable, the smelly forgotten types. They have no impressive gifts to give. They've got no gold or frankincense or wisdom to impart. Um, They represent the, the lowly, the poor, the despised, who live under the open sky. What impressed Martin Luther, again think about Martin Luther, what impressed him about the shepherds is that when they saw Jesus there in the manger, they did not drop their shepherds crooks and uh, put on a cowl and become monks. Rather, they return to their flocks. They remain responsible to their ordinary demands and families and, and jobs. But now with a new light and a new wonder. When we, when we meet Christ, it's not that we all have to drop what we're doing and, and go to seminary. Although that'd be great. Uh, but it is to say that we should, we should now do our jobs in a transformed way. With a new light, a new hope. The church would not exist without some sheep herders, would it? Ordinary Joes and Marthas who care for families, who work responsibly, who show up on Sunday morning to, to set up chairs and tear down chairs. Uh, let's not forget the animals. Uh, and you see them even in this display, almost every display I've ever seen. It's got the animals in it. Uh, the little Carol, good Christian men rejoice, remind us that oxen ass before him bow, for he is in the manger now. And yes, and in every church, there's some oxen and the occasional donkey. Um, uh, There's a great word from St. Augustine who interpreted the the oxen and the ass as the two people of God, the Jews and the Gentiles. And he he counseled in his sermon for people not to be ashamed to be an onky, a donkey, or an ox. let the Lord sit upon us, he said, and take us where he wants. We are his mount. He's going to Jerusalem. With him seated on us, we're not weighed down, but lifted up. With him guiding us, we can't go wrong, uh, Augustine said. Uh, As as many of you know, um, I have spent some time um, doing some research with uh, St. Nicholas and Santa Claus and these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, that's completely fascinating. But what's really uh, crazy about um, some of that research I didn't anticipate are the people that I met along that journey. Uh, the men, especially you would know, be men mainly and uh, mostly men in their retirement, who have, uh, for various reasons, become Santa Clauses or Santa Claus impersonators. Um, I didn't realize, maybe I should have, but I didn't realize initially how many people were devoted to Saint Nicholas and to Santa Claus, uh, collecting memorabilia and living the season all year long and devoting themselves to an entirely red and green wardrobe attire. So some men become Santa Clauses by accident. Uh, Some men have always worn a beard and find that one day that beard is turned white and kids in Walmart begin greeting him as Santa Claus and realize that, you know, maybe there's something I can do with that. Um, some put on the red suit and funny hat as a hobby, some out of a love of, of Christmas, uh, others treat it as a part-time seasonal job. Uh, one military veteran was asked by a friend if he would help out in a pinch and put on the Santa suit and, and come by the base and, and meet with families and children of deployed soldiers. Uh, he was so touched by the genuine response of the children uh, that he volunteered again next year. Uh, to go and meet with the, the children of deployed soldiers. And before he knew it, you know, he was buying his own Santa suit, uh, growing out his beard, uh, and uh, joining area Santa groups. And, you know, and suddenly it had become a whole thing. And um, in case you're wondering, down in Coral Gables, Florida, there's an official Santa color guard and peta- a battalion of Santas who wear red, white, and green camouflage pants. Um, even here in the in the Raleigh area, there's a, a Triangle Santa Buddies—about 30 or so uh, Santas who meet once a month all year round. Uh, in case you're wondering, they meet uh, at uh, up in in Durham. They meet at the Golden Corral. If you want to know where Santa likes to eat, it's Golden Corral. A um, uh, one man that I met, a Jay from Kentucky, uh, was in a, a life threatening car accident with his wife. He stayed in the hospital for about two weeks, recovering while his wife lay in a coma. She still has some residual health issues from the trauma, but as Jay convalesced, he neglected to shave and a fine white beard grew out. As he would walk up and down the halls of the hospital for exercise, he found the cancer wing full of children. And as he would walk Uh, And the little kids would stick their sickly heads out the door and see him go by. Uh, Wide-eyed, it's Santa. Jay realized that God had delivered uh, a gift to him, a wrapped gift. A ministry uh, that he he could do and and, and become part of. So he regularly visits children's wards as Santa Claus. He tells the story that one time... A little girl sat on his lap, and when he asked her what she wanted for Christmas, she answered, "I want a new eye." Jay spoke honestly with her. He, he said, "It couldn't promise that she would have a new eye for Christmas, but that he would pray for her." Uh, the next day, he came back by the hospital to check, and his her, that little girl's mother came by and found him and said, "Do you remember my little girl from yesterday?" Well, of course. I just want you to know that you made her day. She was so excited. She said, Mama, Santa Claus is praying for me. And then there's uh, Father Joseph Marquis. I want to tell you about. Father Joseph is a a tall, barrel-chested man. He's a priest in the Byzantine rite of the Catholic Church. He's got this well-groomed beard and this voice that's as deep as a gravel truck. Uh, He's accumulated over 40 years of experience portraying the character of Santa Claus and St. Nicholas. Uh, Normally he wears kind of the full uh, black clerical garb that you might imagine, white collar, all the business. Uh, But He also dresses as Santa, and he's an impeccable Santa. He's got the full custom embroidered Santa suit. Uh, He makes the transformation complete with white gloves and uh, black leather belt and shiny boots, you know, the whole bit. He got a phone call one morning in June uh, from a man who said that his granddaughter, Angela, was dying of leukemia. And probably would not live to Christmas. So would it be possible for her to receive a visit from Santa Claus in June? Father Joseph agreed on two conditions. He said, well, you know, first of all, um, I'll go if you, if the grandfather would drive him. Because it's just really hard to drive in a Santa suit if you've ever tried such a thing. And he said, you know, the second condition is just that you'd clear this with the hospital. You know, I just don't know what a hospital administration is going to do with a Santa walking in in mid-June through the front doors, how they would react to that kind of thing. Um, So it was one of those sweltering 94 degree days in June. Uh, Father Joseph decked out in his full Santa suit, you know, the beard, the hat, you know, all the, the heavy winter clothing that you might imagine. The man pulls up in his pickup truck. I'm sorry to tell you, but my AC just went out. <laughs> so they rolled down the windows. Uh, Father Joseph, of course, just roasted the whole way uh, there to the hospital. But off they went. They walked through the front doors. They just, of course, slide open. And there's the receptionist. You could just imagine the wide-eyed double-take the receptionist does to see uh, this enormous Santa Claus coming through the, the room in uh, the middle of June. Um, took the elevator up to the children's ward. Uh, What a sight. The entire floor was decorated out for Christmas, even though it was just June. Christmas music, streamers, candy canes, the whole works. Uh, The nurses had dressed in Christmas colors. But now, if you're Santa Claus, you can't just go straight to the child that you have gone there to visit. Santa loves all boys and girls. And so uh, Father Joseph, as Santa Claus, now had to make all the rounds to see all the kids. To each boy, he gave a little button that said, uh, Santa says, I've been a good boy. And to each girl, a little button that says, Santa says, I've been a good girl. Finally, he made it around to Angela's room. Her eyes widened with joy as she saw Santa enter in. He gave her a button as well, and they sang a few carols together with the family. The grandmother decided this would be a good time to give Angela a dress, a little blue dress that she had been making for her, uh, and a matching one for her doll that she had with her. Uh, Father Joseph bent down and said, You know, Angela, uh, I want you to think of this doll as, as a guardian angel just as God's angels watch out over us. Whenever you see this doll, I want you to remember that God loves you and that God is watching out for you. What a day. Uh, it made her day. It made all the children's day there on, on that floor. And of course, it made uh, Father Joseph's day as well. Two weeks later, <clears throat> on a Saturday, uh, Father Joseph was sitting in his church office preparing for Sunday. <laughs> When the phone rang, it was the grandfather. I just wanted to let you know that we buried Angela this morning. She looked so peaceful laying there with her eyes closed, the doll tucked in her arm. She wore that new blue dress and she had the pin. Santa says, I've been a good girl. Father Joseph hung up the phone and sunk back into his chair. He could feel uh, the grief and despair of the tragedy just sort of sucking him in. And he thought he'd give in to it, but then a thought occurred to him. And the thought was just this, you know, that that maybe, maybe all that time that he had invested in becoming Santa and investing in the suit and all those years of training and you know, all that work that he'd put into this, this hobby and, uh, and, and ministry of Santa Claus. You know, maybe all of it was for Angela. That maybe it'd come about so that he could bring a smile to this one little girl on the lonely edge of death. A common subject in renaissance paintings of the 15th century uh, was the Annunciation to Mary. uh, That scene where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and announces to her, unto you uh, the Savior will be born. Uh, And sometimes in these delicate artistic masterpieces, Uh, they they would show a scene there with Mary in the house uh, kneeling before the angel or maybe the angel kneeling before Mary and there would be a window and a shaft of light coming through the window and and striking upon Mary lighting her up making her center stage. Uh, And of course it's it's an artistic element to, to light up Mary and show her importance but there's something else at work theologically what these paintings are showing are just this: that uh, just as this ray of light passes through the window unaffected and moves on its way to Mary uh, without warping or destroying the glass or getting bent off by the glass, um, so the Spirit of God passes through the womb of Mary and implants the Son of God without destroying Mary or warping or or corrupting. Um, I think that's the perfect picture of ministry, of, of what we're supposed to be doing, to, to serve as windows of divine grace, windows of mercy that radiate and illuminate what God is doing. If, if we would allow ourselves to be a pane of glass, a window for God that, that doesn't block out the sun, doesn't block the message or or reflect it, or change it, or move it, or divert it, but allows God to pass through us and illuminate, uh, pass through us and and work on the lives of those around us uh, who most desperately need it. I I think that's a picture of what we're supposed to be doing. And In our lives, we're going to meet all kinds of people. And here, in this congregation, in this church, uh, you know, we might have high-heeled Lawyers and scatterbrained housewives and golf shirt wearing business dudes and white bearded old men. Uh, our, our task is not just to minister to those people, but to help them see that they are ministers too, that we're all panes of glass through which God can pass and work into the lives of others. That the gospel can be packaged in all shapes and sizes. Whether that's a, a, you know, a big barrel chested white bearded guy. Or a tiny little infant in a manger. No, no package is too big or too small for God to work in. So we want to be reminded that in the Lord's house. There are many rooms and there are many windows. Where is it that we might find that light and become that window?